This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Hello and welcome to another edition of your favorite podcast, Insane in the Membrane. Insane in the Membrane. Hello everybody, it's your old pal Wilson, back once again with another episode. I love doing these. Um, this is our 187th episode. Can you believe that? It's been nearly four years. Producer Paul and I were just talking. It was February 2019 we did it. We put our first one out. So this is so coming up to four years already. How about that? Um, and it's a load of uh, episodes. If, you, if you've joined us recently, it's a load of episodes for you to get in, involved in, in our archives. And the way you access those is to go to patreon.com forward slash membrane podcast and become a Patreon. All you need to do is just bung us a couple of quid um, and just help us keep the lights on. Well, that's that's it. Because it costs money to keep things going. We've got a studio to run. Uh, there's travel. I have to come into, into the studio. And there's all, all, everything... Everything that we that we get through the podcast goes back into producing the podcast. So, uh, so we're not we're not driving around in Ferraris. Um, <clears throat> so you know we 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 just plowing all the money back into it. So, and so any money you give us supports the podcast. So if you could do that for us, that would be fantastic. Thank you very much. I hate to ask, but sometimes you gotta, you know. So anyway, on with the show. Um, I this week I'm joined by. Uh, broadcaster Jonathan Pierce. Now, I first became aware of Jonathan Pierce years and years ago. Um, watching, I can't remember what we were watching, what game we were watching, but it was one, it was one I think it was one where he suddenly became, everyone was like, who is this guy? Because it just, he, his exuberance and his passion for the game was just next level. We mentioned it in this episode actually where, you know, before that, sports commentators were very kind of, you know, that sort of clipped clipped vowels BBC whereas this guy was like he's like one of us you know screaming and shouting and jumping up and down and yeah and I just remember that so vividly and so the opportunity came up to have a chat with him now people that listen to the podcast I know I've already said I don't you know as you know I don't follow football but as I say in the episode as well it's just it's in you it's around you can't you can't ignore it it's always even if you're not into football you do kind of keep an eye on it. You kind of just you're just aware of what's happening. It's such a big part of of what we do, of what you know, part of our our universe that you can't but you can't ignore it. And um, you know, like I, I I grew up watching football, playing football. I play comedians football uh, every every now and again on a Tuesday with some some uh, some of the other comics, which is always great fun. 
but you know I, 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 it's one of those things it's just always in you it's always there and so to get Jonathan on to have a chat was just superb I admire him as a broadcaster you see that, that's why I wanted to have a chat with him you know there's people like him Danny Baker we talk about Danny Baker in the, in the episode a great great broadcaster I'm fascinated by these people and I'm just, and I just I wanted to have a chat and so we did and here we are so coming up in a minute it's Jonathan Pierce. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. A podcast from producer paul.co.uk. Insane in the membrane. There's no big introduction. We just get chatting and that's okay. it. And, it, and it, it, that's, that's what we do. So... <laughs> Um, how's your prep going for Qatar? Are you all ready to go? No, I'm, I'm way behind. You know, oh, really? it, it, yeah, it, it takes about, oh, normally for a Premier League team match, about 10 hours of prep for that. But for World Cup teams, you need two or three days solid per country before you, you're in a state of mind where you feel comfortable, you know. And most really? of that stuff you never use. Most right. of the stuff... That, that you know, you hope not to use ninety five percent of the of the home that you do because then it means the game has been good and taken care of itself. But if if you use it, the more you use, it means the duller the game is. You have to fill in the gaps. Right, so you're hoping you, you do all this work, hoping that you don't use ninety five percent of it, which means you waste ninety five percent of your life. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that's the thing. I, I've never knew that before. It didn't occur to me, of course. I because most of us think that you just turn up, watch the game. And you're talking about the game that's happening in front of you, but of course you have to know, you have to know things. 
and that's I'd never it didn't occur to me before. Um, how does how do you how do you feel though with having to do that? It must get a, must get a bit. Sometimes you're like, oh, I'm not going to use half of this, but here we go. Especially with something like Qatar, it's so massive and so controversial as well. Yeah, when I did the draw for the venues live in 2010, 12 years ago, and um, England had a good shout, um, and all the other countries did. Australia had a good shout over there, and we we saw the presentations beforehand. Um, weren't in the actual room where the FIFA delegates were when they made the decision. Um, we could see all the presentations and ours was good and uh, Prince Harry went over there and uh, no, it's Prince William went over there, David Beckham was there and, um, you know, we thought we had a shout but um, that was instantly blown away. When Russia got 2014, I sort of understood, um, this is pre what we're going through now, mm. sort of understood because no Eastern Bloc country had had it so I sort of understood that. When Qatar came up, I was absolutely totally destroyed because um it's got no football pedigree no. it's got no decent high level football there it got better but the problems that exist that people have been picking up on now on human rights on mm. homophobia on lack of opportunities for women existed then and um i was so shocked i think i said on air just get me out of here i want to get home and have a shower because I feel unclean and a lot of people criticise me for that. But it was more about the, not. it wasn't a comment necessarily on Qatar, the country, it was a no. comment on the process that got them the World Cup, which That's was good. so flawed, so corrupt. And yet, Seth Blatter walks free from a court of law, innocent of large-scale fraud, only recently, and so too did Michel Platini, and they were right at the very, very heart of this. But apparently in the court of laws, they're, they're a court of law, they're, they're innocent. Unbelievable. No, Unbelievable. Are. Yeah, I know. <clears throat> and they, this is it, isn't it? it I, I remember being in um, Qatar. I was there a few years ago uh, when they when started to build the things. And it was it's, it's massive. But that's what I mean. That's how recent it is. I was there when they started to build it. So as you say, it wasn't even there. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, now it's this. It's, the whole thing's ridiculous but i think i think that's it if you get if you if you examine it all if you examine everything too much it's just gonna you just it's you'll never get out of bed in the morning no i, I think people people will be critical of it right until the first ball is kicked and then the football will probably take over that's the way mm. it normally is there were critics of of russia and people thought we weren't going to come back from Brazil or South Africa because there'd be trouble over there and blah, 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 and state of crime. And I, I, I thought the South African World Cup was wonderful, one of my favourites. Never felt in any danger in Cape Town or Durban or Port Elizabeth or any of these cities I went to. Johannesburg, different story. Brazil was uh, always felt threatening for me in Rio, but went off. We were all we were all okay. And again, the football. Once you get into the football, you just get you embrace it and get carried away by the drama of it all the story, the developing World Cup. But here, I think there's going to be big criticism, you know. And, and I, I don't think the major broadcasters are going to shy away from that. Um, certainly, unless I'm stopped from doing so, I will mention in my first commentary, which is. Um, uh, Netherlands against Senegal, the day England play their opener, I shall mention the fact that, you know, 
there is abuse of human rights in Qatar. And, mm. you know, while I'm honoured to be asked to do a world, another World Cup, which would be my 11th in all, uh, an honour to be part of the BBC coverage, I don't think I should be there. And I don't think I don't think the World Cup should be there. Blatter has even come out now and saying it said it was a mistake because the country's too small. I mean, you know, it's, it's a country the size of Wales with a population yeah. of Birmingham. In Doha alone, there are five stadiums. What are they going to do with them afterwards? Yeah. <laughs> How are they going to fill them, you know? Yeah, exactly, yeah. They're not. It's- but this is it, isn't it? It's that it's, it's it's corruption at the end of the day, as you said, that just ruins everything. I remember my dad telling me when I was younger, my dad was a civil servant and he's, uh, his boss was Gordon Brown. And I remember him telling me when I was, I was very young that the world is corrupt from the top down. Never forget that. Wonderful, man, just, Gordon, what wonderful man, Gordon Brown. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it, my dad said that. And I remember, I mean, it ruined my birthday. <laughs> 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 but I'd say, but when did you, when, when did, fo- when did football first become a part of your life? It was just always been around you. You just, you just don't remember when it started. It's just always been. Uh, we, well, I, I lived in Cornwall originally. I was um, born in Plymouth and uh, my dad never forgave my mum really because he was Cornish through and through. But it was the nearest hospital with a prenatal unit, and I was six weeks premature. Six weeks premature, and I think oh, I was wow. 13 pounds when I was born. Imagine Bloody that. Hell. I know. <laughs> she wouldn't have lived, would she, if she'd gone full time? Yeah. Anyway, so, um, yeah, and I was yellow and jaundiced, and they had to give me a blood transfusion, and Vicar came in and read the old last rites and everything. Bloody hell. But, uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, the world was nearly spared me. Anyway, <laughs> and uh, so all, but from then, all I wanted to do was be involved in football my granddad tom was was a trainer as they called it in those days but we would call him manager of wickham wanderers um between the two world wars and um and uh long tom uh i loved him Mm. he told me about football he used to go up to arsenal he used to take my mum up to arsenal he talked he told me about wickham wanderers he he just took you know they told me about the great teams of the 30s huddersfield and the arsenal and all these teams and um from afar you know i just wanted to to get involved and our nearest football teams were plymouth and torquay and, and exeter and um you know not interested i didn't know because they no. were the owning teams so the team i wanted to play for was bristol city and that was my dream you know and um i got i got little bit close um, mm. in that I trained with them when I was a kid and not for very long and I broke a leg that was the end of that one but um, in I'm pretty sure it was 20, uh, uh, 72 December 72 um, it's been pointed out it might have been 73 but anyway um, the manager of Bristol City Alan Dix was really uh, visionary and a man working with him called Tony Collins who later on went to work for Don Revy at Leeds and Sir Alex brilliant football man and, um, and my dad was uh, involved in uh, education at the time. Right. I love of football. And he, as part of his education, uh, the, what he was working on, he was working on youth opportunity schemes. And one of them was a cable television uh, network that he'd established. And he had kids working on it from the city areas. So he was all around video and camera work and everything like that, apart yeah. from his job in electrical engineering, teaching it. And then he and Alan Dix, who lived across the road, got together with Tony Collins. They said, let's video the games. First club in Europe to do it. No. Yeah, we were the first one. And it was a little old reel-to-reel. Um, <laughs> the reel, the reels lasted 22 minutes. You had to change it. or well, 25 minutes, I think it was. You had to change them uh, each half. So sometimes we missed a goal. And and that's what we did. We videoed them and then we edited it down on a Sunday morning. Dad did that. I, I would talk the football side through to him. Um 
and we do set pieces and this and that. And then the players will be shown it on the Monday. And it was it was grainy black and white. Some of them still exist to this day, those, that footage. And and I was scrambling up on gantries when I was 12, 13 years of age. Oh, wow. And even when I broke my leg, I, I was climbing up really sort of perilous long ladders <laughs> with a leg in full plaster. Imagine that these days. Goodness, <laughs> well, they'd all get put in prison. <laughs> but how did you feel when it like you broke your leg and then that was it it's, it's well i don't think i was ever going to be good enough you know i, I had no. no pace um I, I could pass the ball decently and i tackled like fury i wouldn't have lasted in the game's new laws uh in 10 minutes you know i played i played at a junior level from then on uh played at university and so on and played at sort of county level uh i guess you would say as it is now and um and I, and I loved it. And um, mm. but then um, Bristol City um, got me my first job. Really, Alan Dix, as I say, a job came up on BBC Radio Bristol covering their games. A, a really cracky old newspaper journalist called Herbie Gillum who spoke <laughs> like that. He was on the radio and spoke like that. Bristol City twos got dropped nil. Amazing. And uh, yeah, he was a wonderful man. And we used to travel to away games. Dad and I filming, and he'd be in the car. And um, telling me tales of journalism back in the 40s and the 50s. It was all bewitching to me. Wonderful yeah. stuff. And um, he retired and they needed someone to take over from him. And um, so Alan Dix put me up for it. And um, so I went. I had to go to an audition at BBC Radio Bristol. And the uh, head of sport was a man called David Solomon. A hard newspaper mm. man. Hard, hard, hard man to please. Oh, really? And um, they, they'd hinted that I'd have to do commentary on video. Of games, you know, they they suddenly throw a video in at me and say, "Commentate on that." We'll see how you get on. Oh, wow. But of course, the video was my dad's video that he and I <laughs> shot. So the night before I go for the audition, my dad said, "Oh, by the way, these are the games we they're going to show you tomorrow." So of course, up come the games in this studio in Radio Bristol, and I sailed through because I knew exactly what it was going to be. So yeah, <laughs> and got the job, and then it's it just went on from there, really. And yeah. that that meant that you know, I I was I had to stop playing anyway. I did my knee. Uh, quite badly, and um, and then radio. You know, Radio Bristol was every Saturday, uh, home and away for the pricey sum of fifteen pounds a game, no, no expenses. <laughs> so up to Hartley, <laughs> pulling back, no expenses. You don't get a lot of fifteen quid. Bloody hell! No. Do you know that's the difference. I remember when I was a teenager. So all of my, so my my mum's side of the family. Um, my youngest son, my best friend Tom, they're all Chelsea. So Chelsea's always been in my life. And then when I was a teenager, all of my friends were Arsenal fans. So we used to go to Highbury. But it was, you'd get a phone call like, we're going Highbury tonight on a Wednesday, whenever it was. And you'd just go, yeah, brilliant. And we'd all turn up, it was like four quid. Yeah. And that was, in, that was in the sort of mid to late 80s. It's yeah. changed so much. It is. You know, I'm, I'm Bristol City through and through. And um, people say, oh, you're an Arsenal fan, or you're a West Ham fan, or you're a Palace of Brighton, you know. Go and see Brighton a lot because it's around the corner from where we live and my, yeah. uh, my boys uh, go and, and I've got friends that go, so I go as often as I can. But um, Bristol City through and through it. But in those days, the early 60s, first game was 1968 against Derby. I've still got the match programme. I still remember the Bristol City lineup to this day. <laughs> and um, if, if Rovers were at home, Bristol City were away then, we would go and see the Rovers. I went to see Bristol Rovers playing the League Cup against Manchester United with Charlton Best Law, playing for Manchester United, a strong team. You know, it was wonderful to see them. And, and you did that. And, and, you know, I never supported the Rovers, but I would go and see them. And um, mm. that's what you did in those days. And no one no one thought, 
No one thought better about it. Now, if you put up an opinion about one team and it doesn't agree with someone on social media, they absolutely destroy you. I mean, it's just crazy yeah. the way it's gone now. Absolutely, uh, absolutely crazy, you know? Yeah, exactly. It should be for the love of the game rather than this, 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 yeah, this, this. I, I, I was in, uh, so I bumped into somebody in Brighton the other day and he, he was a complete stranger. He just, he just started talking to me about football and he said to me, he's like, so, so, so what's your team? And I went, well, I said, I've kind of, I've not watched it for a long time. I said, I dip in and out, you know, now and again, but my team would be Palace because that's where I'm from. And he went, and then he starts telling me all of and he's like, I'm Palace, I'm this, I'm that. But he's like, but you can't say that around here. You can't say that around here. In the middle of Brighton. And I and he, and we got talking. We're like, what is the, why is that rivalry rivalry there between Brighton and Palace? Is it because it's the nearest or no? It, it came from a um, uh, situation with the rival managers Terry Venables and Alan Muller at the time, and a cup tie at Stamford Bridge, and decisions didn't go um, Brighton's way. I think it was at the time, and and uh, and Mullery's uh, walking down the touchline afterwards, and. Uh, I can't remember the exact story, but he's, there were cat calls from the fans, and he, the, the, the legend goes, he pulled out a handful of pennies and he threw them up in the air, or, you know, whatever it was, you know, five right. pence pieces, and said, I wouldn't give you that for your club. And that's what started the rivalry off, allegedly, these days. But my, look, my father in law's a Palace fan, he doesn't see it. Um, my eldest son is is rampant Brighton, and he he would he won't go to a game at Sellers Park because he he doesn't want to give Crystal Palace any money, you know. So right. he's he, he he's fervently Brighton's way. The, the another son would go and see both of them. Sees sees Brighton more than he does Palace, but he'd be quite happy to go and see both of them. And you know, I, I when I was growing up, when we lived down in Cornwall. Um, we, my dad, had, my dad, somehow or another, I don't know how, had, had befriended Reevy. We used to go up to Leeds from Wadebridge in Cornwall mm. and watch Leeds, and then we, wow. when we, yeah, and so I was Leeds and Bristol City, you know, and and yeah. then they drew each other in the FA Cup in 1973 four. Leeds had gone unbeaten. Don Reevy's side. We drew 1-1 at Ashton Gate. It was wonderful. It was BBC cameras were there. We were tight, squeezed tight on the end of the gantry. Bristol City scored. I stepped off the edge of the gantry into thin air. And a BBC cameraman pulled me back on. Saved my life. Wow. And then we went up in the replay. And uh, I, I knew then, you know, I was, I, was, I was Bristol City through and through by then. And, you know, while I still had a soft touch, Eddie Gray's one of my great heroes of all time. But we went to the replay. It was on a midweek during the miners' strike, so there was no floodlights, so it had to be played in the midweek. It's a cup tie that everyone forgot. Leeds <laughs> were unbeaten 32, 33 games into that season, and Bristol City went up there and won 1-0. Donny Giddies got the goal. And, and, you know, it was no way back for me from then on. No, that was and, and I grew up with a lot of those, well, those, sorry, those players knew me since I was a little boy. And um, my, my great hero in life is a man called Jerry Gow, who's no longer with us. He was a feisty Scottish midfield player, went to Man City. If you watch the Ricky Villa goal in the cup final replay, the first one he beats is Jerry. Jerry sort of, Jerry looks as if he's going to close down on Ricky Villa and then, yeah, no, no, yeah. no chance, no chance when he goes <laughs> Anyway, so after the game at Leeds, uh, he'd put Bremen on the seat of his pants in the first five minutes. He'd put he'd put Giles on the seat of his pants in the first five minutes. And we'd already knew the draw, which was Liverpool at home in round six. We knew that beforehand. And uh, about two minutes before the end of the game, Ernie Hunt, uh, who, who people might remember for the, the sort of Willie Carr donkey kick, and then Ernie Hunt volleyed in for one of the goals of the season one year. Ernie had finished his career at Bristol City. About five minutes before the end of that cup tie replay, he ducks into a challenge. Lorimer raises his foot, catches Ernie in the, in the face. Ernie turns to the referee, toothless, got no tooth, teeth left in his head. Lorimer's kicked him out of his, out oh, of his head. God. Lorimer gets yellow carded. 
book seconds are wasted down the train Bristol City win 1-0 I then go down into the into the dressing room afterwards and I sat between Ernie and Jerry my great hero Jerry Gow and I was sat there and Ernie's talking away with a full set of teeth and I've looked at him I couldn't take my I could take my eyes off his teeth so um he's gone what's the matter son I went you Peter Lorimer kicked the teeth out of your head and he went oh no that's easily done son and he just pulled out the set of dentures it was the first time I knew that footballers cheated the first time and then in in um before I got down there um uh Shankly had gone into the Bristol City dressing room to con- congratulate them and uh congratulate Jerry Gow and all the Scots boys anyway so I then uh, sat down with him, as I say, and he disappeared, Shankly, by the time I got there. But Alan Dick says to me, Shanks is outside, go and, go and talk to him. And um, I had my Bristol City gear on, a tie and all this sort of stuff and a jacket. So I've gone out there and I introduced myself very politely. And I said, uh, um, Jonathan Pierce, I'm connected with Bristol City. You know, hey, great son, great son. Yeah, you're brilliant today, son. I said, who impressed you, Mr. Shankly? Hey, go, the boy go, fantastic. <laughs> Sat Brenda down on the seat of his pants in the first five minutes. Sat Charles down two minutes later. The long Tom up front, Tom Ritchie, great player. The boy at the back there. Uh, and he just went through all the Scottish players <laughs> in the team. Sweeney and Gilly's got the goal. He went through all the Scottish players. Said how brilliant they were. So, uh, I then said to him, I'm, I'm, I'm carried away here, I'm, I'm in dreamland, talking to Shankly. And then I said to him, uh, what chance we got against your team in round six, Mr Shankly? Hey, son, you've no bloody chance. <laughs> so I've gone back in and I, I, they said, what did he say? And I went, oh, Jerry loves you, Tommy loves you, Sweeney loves you, Gillies loves you, loves all the Scottish boys. And they were, oh, pleased as punch. What else did he say, JP? Oh, he, I asked him, boys, what chance we got in the next round? And he said, we've no bloody chance. Whereupon I'm pelted with football boots and old shin guards <laughs> and everything. So, but then by that stage, as I said, the Leeds thing had gone and I was Bristol City through and through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But do you not feel that things have changed so much now in 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 football that those characters they don't really exist, or they're they're very few and far between now. Whereas there was always somebody that was, do you know what I mean? Like there was a loose cannon, and yeah, there was a Charlie George, there was a Peter Osgood, there was a Chopper Harris, so, you know, and, and and there was a Frank Worthington all the way through. Um, but the, you know they're they're still there, you know, but not not as many. Don't forget they cannot have a free life. No, they cannot have an open free life because wherever they go, there is someone with a camera. Now I know certain players have been, have been up to no good and they get caught out. And there's been atrocious things that have happened and mm. court cases are ongoing now. And the fullness of the law will be told in those cases, you hope. Mm. But most of the footballers, especially the ones that, that I know, uh, are, are genuine souls. They love the game of football, but they can't go out because everywhere mm. they go, someone will be looking for it. And so that that's a different lifestyle. The other thing is they live in a bubble anyway. Because those characters you're talking of yesteryear, yes, they had good wages. Yes, they had better wages than everyone else since the abolition of the minimum wage back in Jimmy Hill's day in the early 60s. But there wasn't the golf. No. There was never that golf that they're, they're earning they're earning a week, what someone will earn possibly in a lifetime, you yeah, know, right. £400,000 a week. It's just, it's, a, it's, it's obnoxious. So they live in that bubble anyway. So you're not going to know if they're characters. Also, when they do interviews, you know, there was a day when I started at Capital Gold in London, 
I'd be welcomed into London Coney, the Arsenal Training Centre, Chapel Heath, out of West Ham, Chelsea, Tottenham. You just go in there and talk to people. Nowadays, it all has to be done through uh, 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 phalanx of press people and agents. And yeah. then you're sometimes told what you can and you can't ask them. And um, so you don't, the players don't really get the chance to show what characters they are until they finish playing. And then one or two of them come through. Uh, Michael Richards, look at the character he is on television. Mm. You never would have known that when he was playing. And, 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 and there are more of them like that. But for me, we're talking, you and I are talking on a day when a character is included in an England squad for a World Cup. Yeah. In, in James Madison, and I'm so pleased he's there because he is a character, and he, he, you know, he's maturing. He might have been a little bit doolally over the last couple of years, once or twice, but he is maturing. And there are one or two characters in that squad as well, and I'm glad to see that. I really am. Yeah, that's what because that I remember. I remember football. Even if you're not into football, football is such a big part of of us. Such a, it's in our DNA. It just is us, isn't it? You can't escape it, even if you're not into it. You're always aware of what's happening. And I remember, I remember when I was at school, when it was uh, it was Man City and Tottenham, and it was it would have been 80, 87? No, it would have been way no 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 way before that eighty three early eighties eighty one yeah yeah it's eighty uh, eighty two something like that it was 81, when 81 81 and they. That was that big a deal that we we were in school. We were our our, our sports lesson that afternoon was just talking about the game that was going to be coming up. That oh, was because that was the replay you were talking about. That's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With Joe Corrigan and everybody, and mm, that's the one that Jerry Gow played in. As I said, he's my hero. Yeah, he, he played in that. Uh... But that's how big a deal it was. It stops. It stopped school, mm. and we were all talking about it. And yeah, and it like I say, it's just in us, isn't it? It's just. You know, and it just it just felt. I don't know if is, is money pricing people out. Like whereas before, like dads would take their sons and families would go, but you know now it's, it doesn't. It's too expensive. It feels. It, it is very expensive. One or two clubs are adopting better pricing policies for certain games. I see West Ham for a European game. I think it was. It might have been a League Cup game. It was kids a quid only recently, um, which deserves praise. And they're not the mm. only ones doing that. Um, there should be a minimum. Sorry, there should be a maximum price for travelling fans going to an away game. And I know there are moves afoot to to make sure that's right across the board. It's been they've been working on that for the last couple of years. Season tickets are astronomically priced. Mm. Um, but then they will turn around and say, "Look what you pay for a theatre ticket." You know, some tickets in the West End can cost you three figures. Uh, look what you pay to do this. Look what you pay to do that. That's their that that would be their argument. Um, I do. I, I one thing I do think has changed massively is that there are no walk up ticket availabilities. No. So, like you said, when you were a kid, you offered you off, you going to West End today. Let's go across yeah. the West Ham, and you would go. You can't really do that anymore now. There are there are no. touts, but you don't want to go down down that route necessarily. And um, so that that's. That's a shame. I would also say we're saturated with football. Look, I make a living out of it. Mm. So there's some weeks that I will do the match of the day on a Saturday. I will do League 1 on a Sunday for BT. I'll have already done another game off Tube on a Sunday morning. It might be a FA Cup tie like I did this week, Wrexham against Oldham, or it might be a WSL game. And then if it's a European game, I'll do a Champions League game on a Tuesday and a Wednesday, a Europa League or a conference game on a Thursday. I might do a radio game on a Monday or a Friday, and then I'm back into the weekend, and so it goes. And that's just me. There's games everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. And not you can get games, you can, you know, 
games from all different countries. You can stream every anything you want from the games in America to Portugal, all the way across to the Far East. It's and for me, it's I don't know. It's it's that awe, that wonderment that we had when the FA Cup final was the only game live on television. That wonder yeah. has gone a little bit, I think. Yeah, was well, like you say. I think that's the same with everything. Everything is so readily available now. As you say, it takes away the the magic of it. Like I say, that game stopped school. It was we were ready. We we weren't talking. We couldn't. The teacher that couldn't concentrate on anything else. Mm. It was the and and your parents. Everyone was talking about it. But now, as you say, it's just yeah. It, I, I I I do miss those days when yeah. So it was like comedy. I'm a comedian by trade, and I remember when. Uh, one of my heroes, Dave Allen, would oh, have he, he'd have a TV show coming out, and that would everybody would be talking about it. Everybody was like, "No, we're not going out tonight because Dave Allen's on." You See, know, my, my old man loved Dave Allen, right? I loved Dave. And Allen. I, I was stayed. I was allowed to stay up where late and watch Dave Allen. Yes, we had very, yeah. very close friends who were. They were. My family wasn't. My mum is more. My dad wasn't religious at all. Right, but they were. They were very close friends. And when they used to come down and stay, they lived up in Yorkshire. And the Saturday night, Dave Allen came on. No, he couldn't watch it. No, I'm not, not really? allowed to watch it because he was seen as being uh, irreverent and you know. Oh man! I know. I mean, what a wonderful! <laughs> it's just unbelievable. I love you know. They were the days of. I love stand up now. You know, one of my closest friends is Terry Alderton. Yeah, did a podcast together, JP and Tina Football Friendly. So I love all stand ups. I think you're so brilliant. I think to get up there into the void, which it is, it into is, a man. void, and not know what's coming next utter rapture coming back at you like a like a like a wave of joy or just tumbleweed and you don't know yeah. do you? you don't know <laughs> the tumbleweed oh my god i had tumbleweed last night did you <laughs> <laughs> because they were i i was doing a gig and there were there were people from everywhere from all corners of the world and they and they were sat and i they didn't tell me that at the beginning i, I was aware some people were, like, were from elsewhere and I got into it and I was doing a bit and then it didn't get anything. And I'm like, ah, oh, man. And I said, look, I said, I've been doing this nearly 20 years. I know that bit works. So I don't understand. If you're not laughing, I've got to be honest. I think it's you. <laughs> and then after it was in the interval, they went, no, no, we're all enjoying it. We're just, it's, English is our second language. So it takes us a while. And I went, oh, I see. All oh, right, but the tumbleweed's painful. Yeah, we used to do... Uh, I'm a member of the Football Writers Association. I'm so proud to be a member of it and have been for many, many years now. So we have two big dinners a year, the, the tribute night, where somebody who's packed in the game 10 years ago, yeah. they pay tribute to that. And then there's the, the Footballer of the Year dinner in May, the end of the season. And for that, they used to have a stand-up. And it was notorious as being one of the hardest gigs you could do as a stand-up. They weren't sitting down... <laughs> Everyone's yeah. naturally about something else. And it's like, you make me laugh. I'm not going to laugh <laughs> unless you make me laugh. And it was so, it was so hard and they abandoned it. Quite, you know, quite understandably. But people used to say that the comedians used to talk to me afterwards and say, wow, that's a hard one. That's a hard one. Oh, and God. For me, yeah. see, I can't see. When I'm doing a commentary, radio or TV, you can't see them. You can't, you know, we had, I did the Women's European Championship final for the world feed this year. Uh, the BBC didn't want me to do it anymore. Um, but um, after doing it for 10 years, I did some matches for them this summer, but mainly I was doing the latter stage I was doing for a company that does the World Feed, a brilliant company called Gravity Media. And um, we had 126 million around the world, I think, watching Bloody that final of the European Championship. You can't think of that. That's unthinkable. No. And if I stand up in front of a room to do 
say an evening where I'm presenting for our family charity, the Lilly Foundation, and there's 400 in a room, I am physically sick before yeah, I do wow. it. I, I, I've got one next Tuesday, uh, which is a very, very lovely little, uh, fantastically uh, intimate night at a restaurant in South Korea called Bagatti's. He was the first one, Peter Bagatti was the first one to support the charity with an event. So we carried on doing it 13, 14 years, about 100 people in the room, and I'll have to get them to do the auction and do a couple of, you know, I'm quaking now. <laughs> and it mad though. Like you say yeah. you talk to you talk to millions of people. Yeah, but I can't see them. Can't see them. Yeah, can't see the white of their eyes. <laughs> and the thing is, as well, you're so exuberant, and that's that's how you came to prominence. Is was your passion and your exuberance? Because before that, it'd been kind of there'd been a couple of people, not on your level. There'd be people. It was all very kind of BBC and years, and he passes to blah blah blah, and it goes to that. But you were the first person that you were on the level with the fans, like. Ah! just like getting into it and that and so to 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 know what you do and then to hear that actually if you were to, in front of people yeah you, it's that's that's blown my mind that of course i, I, yeah. I was very lucky with that you know because um i'd i'd, I'd been commentating that way um since <laughs> i used to play some beauty up in the attic and uh, <laughs> i used to play against myself so i was used to win so i was yeah, excited and the commentators i was doing it they used to lock me up there you know parents uh, dreadful people <laughs> anyway so uh anyway so then i uh, when i first started working for radio bristol and radio west um the independent sector i carried on like that because that's the way i wanted to hear it but really, it was Capital Radio that gave me a chart. And the man who was the visionary man was a man called Richard Park. He yeah. was a brutal man to work for. He was very, very hard to work for. Mm. Very demanding. But he knew his football. He was a massive football nut. He'd done the job. He'd been yeah. a commentator at, um, in Glasgow. So he knew the job. He knew football inside out. A real football man. It made it very hard sometimes to work for him because he wanted, he wanted us to be what we became there as a group. I'm not just talking about, yeah. it's not the real we. It's that we had a tiny team, you know, two, three. By the end, Capital had grown into a big, uh, big organisation, owned stations around the country. I think we had commentary deals with about 72 of the 92 clubs. And I was group sports editor, but never lost that. Well, I did all the admin and all that sort of bollocks. Um, and the budgets and all that sort of stuff used to kill me, but mm. I still used to go out every every opportunity I could and commentate and with that same enthusiasm because he 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 wanted he he knew that's what the fans wanted. He wanted yeah. they wanted to hear football fans talking about football. They wanted an opportunity to voice their opinion in the phone-ins. Danny Baker had already done what is now called 606, and he did it brilliantly. He's the master at it, Danny Baker. Yeah. He's a master at it. And we did, but we were the first ones to do it out live. So we did it at the grounds. And we used to sit there, 20 to 5, the game finished, and we'd still be there at 7, uh, some some nights doing doing the phone-in, you know. And... Um, and that was that was revolutionary, and uh, he he you know that he he just wanted to push the boundaries all the time. We did cut, we commentated on cup finals from the FA Youth Cup final up to the World Cup finals. Did the World Cups and the European Championships for the whole of the country. It was a wonderful time. And I'll tell you what, it was a wonderful time because we laughed. No, oh, yeah, we worked really hard. We played really hard. We had good people to work with. I was lucky enough to work with Bobby Moore, Frank McClintock, Alan Mullery, wow. Malcolm McDonald, all these people, and. We didn't have we didn't have to play hard. 
Yeah. But we laughed. We just, it was so, it was just hilarious. <laughs> and also, it was a music station, Capital <clears throat> FM. But they all, before it became Capital Gold, they were already buying into what we could do. The DJs like Chris Tarrant and Mick Brown were yeah. brilliantly supportive. We used to play the commentary in their programs, and I was so incredibly lucky to be part of that. <laughs> but that's what it, that's what, the, like you said, it's what we wanted. It was like you'd, you'd hear commentators in other countries just screaming and cartwheeling around and that's and we and we didn't really have that until until you sort of came along in that that whole kind of it just changed everything yeah you know? when when tony gale came on board which was 89 i think through when i left in 2002 and um it was just hilarious you know we used to do i mean i've done i when i was working with bobby moore we did a cup tie once it was a league cup to arsenal against uh, Grimsby, I think it was. He was up against Champions League live on ITV. So we knew we had no one listening to us at all. No, who's going to listen to that? <laughs> well, Champions League live on the telly. So we did 45 minutes in rhyming slang. First 45 minutes in rhyming <laughs> slang. And no one no, didn't have a complaint. Imagine <laughs> someone tuning in for the first time hearing these two waxing lyrical. And and um, and then when Gailey came across, we used just, just to laugh during games and try and put each other off and corpse on air and... You know, be laughing for two or three minutes in a row, and and uh, you know, we did a World Cup game down in um, Montpellier, I think it was. It was somewhere down there, south of France, in '98. And um, I was telling this story on the on the podcast the other day, and a very young Samuel Eto was playing for the Cameroon. And um, I've gone through the team line, your know, Cameroon lineup, so about four, so and so and so and so. And up front, they play with the two, so and so and so and so, and a 17 year old Samuel Eto. And as I've said the name Eto, Gailey starts singing Tinky Winky, La La, Eto, Poe, right? From, from the what's the names? <laughs> yeah, the from, Teletubbies. Yeah, teletubbies. So I've laughed then, but every time he touched the ball, and I've mentioned Eto for 90 minutes, not just in that game for the whole World Cup. <laughs> he just did this song. And every time he did it, I just it's just so stupid. And we just laughed. It's just so stupid. It's ridiculous. You know, but, yeah. just juvenile, pathetic, pure art. <laughs> but Brilliant. then that comes out, as you say, it, that, that energy comes out yeah. into what you're doing. And that's what people that's what people want. That's what they attach themselves to. Yeah, I think kind. you mentioned Danny Baker. That's just, I thought it was a shame what, what happened to Dan. Because he's he was he's always been around like not just in not with sport but music, everything just culture every, every sort of like youth culture since I since I was a kid and before that he was always around, and then to see what happened to him was just yeah it was heartbreaking because it, it was you know he made it he made a fatal mistake and uh, and it was stupid really what happened I don't think he meant it to be what it was meant no not at made, all made out to be but at that time you know i don't think there's a racial bone in his body but no 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 danny baker is a genius he's he's one of the i've, I've worked with some fantastic people i've been so lucky mm. danny baker i would say is a broadcasting genius yeah. and uh he's, he's so full of ideas it's absolutely criminal that he's not involved in broadcasting at the moment and when i say i've you know he's up there i work with kenny everett yeah, you know, right. Uh, wow. What a, a broadcasting genius. Yeah. Broadcasting genius. And um, I'll tell you a story about Ken. Shall I have we got time? Yeah, please do. Yeah. We were up for awards, um, mighty awards, um, not the Oscars. I think they were called the Green King IPA Awards right. for radio. And they were, and they were, 
They were up in Norfolk Way or Suffolk. It was in the village where uh, that that Tory MP, right, Archer, he lives in this village. Or okay. Did. Anyway, and then this, they were in a pub in this village. So we got the old Rattler up, and the two people who were up for awards were I was up for the sport, and Kenny was up for uh, a broadcast of the year or program of the year or something. So we went up there with a senior um, executive at Capital who went on to become with uh, involved with Millionaire, the Tarrant Millionaire oh, program, yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, and my producer as well, Michael Pete Simmons, who was a brilliant man. Anyway, so the four of us trundle up on this rattler to this little pub, and uh, we've had a few on the train on the way up, and uh, we get there, and it's, it's a U-shaped pub and the adjudicators are sitting at one end and then all the candidates are around this and we were right at the bottom of the U. Kenny sat on my right hand side and uh, it comes to the sport and they've got uh, candidates for sports award of the year on so and so and so and so, Capital Gold, um, Radio Norfolk for the deaf, so and so and so and so and Kenny's gone, what? A loud voice, <laughs> what? Uh, radio Norfolk for the deaf, for the radio, <laughs> for the deaf. Anyway, he's gone into... He's gone into best possible taste mode, right? The character. Yeah, yeah, He's yeah. disappeared under the table, <clears throat> kicking his legs up in the air, saying all the best possible, <laughs> cackling with laughter. I'm trying to cover up for him. And they win. <laughs> this this thing wins. Right? So all credits are brilliant. Yeah. I expect they were brilliant, fantastic. All, all, all due power to them. And, uh, and Kenny's just, Kenny's just, he can't stop laughing. And then five minutes later, he gets the award for his program. He has to go up. Right. Eat humble pie with these adjudicators, and and then sit down again. Come full time at the thing. Full time whistle blows on the thing, and and this um, David, the uh, the executive, says, right, let's get out. We get, we got to get him out quick as possible. So we get back to the rattler. As we get there, he's gone. Let's get. We got to get some booze for Ken. So um, so have on the journey on the way back. So he's in a right, but you know he's 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 in a mood for for a jolly up here. So I go into this little very old fashioned like nineteen fifties. Um, train, uh, train station uh, buffet thing and I said have you got any alcohol and they said the only thing they've got is miniatures they showed me the fridge with the miniatures and I've got I'll have it I'll have, I'll have that yeah, I'll have that <laughs> so uh, they give me two shopping bags so I've gone back on with all these miniatures wherever they were right brandy gin vodka whatever whiskey so we've sat there and I've sat there with Kenny Everett on this two and a half hour rattler journey. There were four of us on the train and we got absolutely blind drunk and Kenny Everett was just telling us stories. Oh. Imagine, uh, you know, I'll have that for the rest of my yeah. life. Kenny Everett telling stories. Fantastic. What a beautiful moment. Yeah. What a beautiful thing. I remember being in, a, in the green room with Ted Robbins yeah. a little while ago and and he, he talks to you like you've known him, like you've known him forever. Mm. He's like, he's that old school kind of, you know, lovey. He's ah, oh, Wilson, darling. And he chats away, but he started talking about Bob Monkhouse and Les Dawson and all the greats that he's worked with. And it was fascinating. I didn't even want to do the gig. I just wanted to just sit there and listen to him. So I understand what you mean when you were sat with one of the great legends of all time, Kenny Everett. Yeah. And he's just chatting away to telling you stories. You can't, you can't you can't buy that. That's, no, you can't. That's incredible. Yeah, I've been well, I've been so like woke up nineteen ninety. We were out in Italy and uh, Bobby Moore worked with me over there. He's part of the team and uh, Bobby Robson wouldn't let him come into the into the England team hotel for some reason. So he stayed with the Irish down the road, literally just down the road from where mm. we were. And I used to go down there and uh, escape because Bobby Robson had put a, got a tank across the. <laughs> 
the entrance of the England Hotel to stop to stop whatever whoever <laughs> was coming in. I love Bobby Robson, but there were one or two things you thought, "Wow, this is a little bit eccentric." Anyway, that was one of them, and um, and we I, we dug a little tunnel. A lad called Mick Lowe's is a brilliant broadcaster, a great friend of mine, and uh, best commentator I've ever worked with. Yeah, we done a, we dug a tunnel, him and me, to get out so we could go down to this nearby village <laughs> called P- uh, Puglia. And the players used to use the tunnel. When we got back in at night, they used to use the tunnel and go out themselves. <laughs> got to the semi-final, beaten on penalties. You know, none of this modern draconian lifestyle anyway. So I, I went down one night, part of little, we had a little fear outside, parked outside by the tank. And uh, what an incongruous sight, massive great tank and a little fear Una. <laughs> and I drove it down the road to the Irish team hotel and uh, went into the bar. Players are in the bar, like the Wild West, and... Uh, I sat between Jack Charlton and Bobby Moore, England's 1960s World Cup wow. set about partnership. And I just sat there. And they and uh, Jack had an assistant called Morris Setters, and uh, God bless his soul. And um, and uh, all three of them are gone now, of course. And uh, mm. Jack, Jack would just say, Morris, go and get some more drinks. <laughs> Morris would just... And I was just assumed, right, Morris had come back with a couple of pints, one for Bob and one for Big Jack. And now he'd come back with three. <laughs> and uh, you know, I I sat there and and they would just be talking about sixty six and seventy. Oh and, my god! You know, and and I, I never said a word. You know, I just, no. I just wow, it's like Christmas and all my birthdays <laughs> rolled into one. It's, I've been incredibly lucky to have gone through through the years. I've had the, I've had the best of it because yeah. the ones coming through now will never ever ever experience that. No, no. That's the thing. When you start off in these things, like with, with what I do, the place I've ended up, the people I've ended up talking to, I, I, I never in a million years thought that I would ever end up speaking to these people. You included. This, if someone had said to me way back when, are oh, you going to end up having a chat with them? I would have. It wouldn't have even. I would have been. What are you talking about? That's all from comedy. This is. This is what this has come from. And I want to say it's been an absolute joy to have you on. A real well, pleasure to speak much. to you. Thank you very much. It is just if you got, you do meet people through people, don't you? Through te- yeah. through my friendship with Terry Alderton, right? And we go back years and years, and we're doing this podcast, JP and T, the Football Friendly together. But through him, I've bumped into. I worked with Keith Allen years and years ago on yeah. a spoof documentary that he, he did called The Crying Game, But we'd lost touch. But then through Terry, I met Keith again. So I've had a couple of nights with Keith Allen and oh, Terry wow. Alderton. That is seriously strange, I'm telling you. I'm telling you, oh that, is, that is an experience to have the both of them there. That must have been something else, was honestly. I, was, was I the sane one there or <laughs> were they the sane ones and I wasn't? I'm not you too probably sure. <laughs> you probably all got caught up in each other's yeah, yeah energy. <laughs> so wait, do, you, do you fly out to Qatar or are you doing it? Are you no, I fly out to Qatar yeah. next Thursday, yeah. And we're based in Doha, and um, my first game is my first game is Senegal against the Dutch, and then it's virtually game. You know, just a, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a little. So I do I do Senegal Netherlands on the twenty first. Then the next day it's France Australia. Then I got a day off. Then the next day it's Portugal Ghana, and then the next day it's Qatar Senegal, and then the next day it's Argentina Mexico, and it goes like that. This wow. is close. You're not having to travel. But imagine that schedule in Brazil in 2014 when you've got yeah, three yeah, flights yeah. a day. You're getting in at three o'clock in the morning, getting up at five to do another flight, another three flights before you do a commentary that night. Yeah, that yeah, was yeah. a hard one. Christ almighty. Yeah. But looking back now, you go, I'm glad I did it. 
Yeah, this is my 11th yeah. women's and men's, so probably be the last, so I'm going to enjoy it while I'm there. I don't oh. think I should be there, by the way. Still no. don't think I should be there. Don't think it should be there at all, but while I'm there, I'll enjoy the people around me, I expect, and that's yeah. all that matters. I think that's it, isn't it? It's now, it's, it's, it's not, you can't change it. The the fans we can't change it. It's 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 on another. It's people on another level that have created this. So all you can do is I all, know, I, all I will say it. if the, if if it kicks off, if something badly goes wrong over there, those who made that decision twelve years on should still be held in uh, accountable for it, Absolutely. and there should be action taken. Twelve years on, there's still yeah. no excuse. No, that's right. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Jonathan, for coming on. Pleasure. Uh, it's been an absolute joy. Thank you. Thank you very, very much for having Thank me on. Don't forget, JP and T, the football friendly, I've got to give that a mention. Yes, yes, do. And um, and um, I expect you pay what we pay. Yeah. Which is absolutely nothing. <laughs> a lot of love. You must come on. Must yeah, I'd come love on. to. I'd love to. Yes, please. That'd be yeah, great. That'd be a short episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, love, I love you. I love you too. It'd be great to have a chat with you. That'd be fantastic. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Made by darkhorsedigital.co.uk. Shooting, live streaming, and podcast production.